0: right before the start of uh, I guess well I don't want to say the start I guess right before this pandemic kind of changed all of our lives very dramatically I think I had the privilege of preaching at the uh, the men's retreat and it was literally I think the weekend before everything kind of just shut down and I remember just having a wonderful time with a lot of the brothers here and and uh, I remember just uh, you know just being blessed that weekend and then little did I know that uh after that weekend, life would be uh, very different. Uh, but it is, uh, it's been like a year and a half, I guess, since I've uh, been able to come to NCF, and it's just been a blessing. Um, so Pastor John and, uh, and Sarah and the whole family recently, for the first time also in like a year and a half, and that was a blessing. And so just to be here. It's also a blessing. Uh, since the last time we were here, we did add a member to our family. And so our son, uh, Joseph, or Joy, Joy was born. And so our family isn't with me today. But, uh, uh, but uh, yeah, so it's been... Uh, it's, that has been good. that has been a blessing. And as always, uh, it is a blessing to be here and to be able to just uh, uh, preach the word here and just to be able to fellowship with you all. So thank you again for having me. Um, And uh, yeah, uh, it's truly a joy to be here. Let me say a quick word of prayer and then uh, I will go into the message today. Let's pray. Father, we do want to thank you and we want to praise you again for you are so good. Lord, uh, It's always such a blessing to be able to gather as a church of Christ to worship you. Um, And Lord, we pray today that as we have this time together, that you would just really remind us of who you are uh, and all that you do. We pray, Lord, as we delve into your scriptures, that we will be convicted, that we will be encouraged, we will be moved by your scriptures. And we pray, Lord, that today uh, as we see more of you, that we would be blessed and that we would just honor and glorify and praise your name. We thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today, we're in the book of Philippians, and uh, Philippians chapter 1, and uh, Pastor John read the passage for us. Uh, I remember, yeah, ever since seminary, I remember always thinking that Pastor John has like, a really nice, deep voice, right? Like, it's, like a, it's like a good preaching voice, and, uh, and uh, I think my, my wife commented on that once, that uh, Pastor John has like, a nice voice for preaching. I was like, what about my voice? <laughs> I don't remember her commenting anything there, but... <laughs> But, um, but yeah, you know, we read the scripture. It's a very famous passage, uh, Philippians 1. Uh, it's very famous, especially verse 21, which uh, was the last verse. And obviously, I think you guys all know this verse, I would think, right? Uh, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's a very, very famous, very powerful verse. I remember as a kid, uh, I used to love that verse because you know, growing up at retreats and things, they would make us memorize scripture before we could eat our meals. And sometimes they would give really long passages and it'd be really hard. And with this one, it was so easy, you know, for Timothy to live his and time. They were being really excited every time this verse came up. But it's a powerful verse, a powerful passage, uh, I think, because it reminds us of the Apostle Paul's purpose in life. Right? It reminds us of what, of what makes him tick, or right? what makes him excited about what his mission, his purpose in life truly is. Uh, because if you look, even throughout history, anyone who's been, I guess, considered you know great or somebody who's made a great impact in life, you know, they they've had a clear sense of purpose. I remember even this year, earlier this summer, uh, Independence Day. I think it was on a Sunday, and just thinking about, you know, just our country and just you know the purpose that you know the founding fathers must have had of freedom, of independence, right, of creating this United States, and you know they had a clear sense of purpose, and so you made me ask the question. Well, what is my purpose? Or what is my sense of purpose? What is my purpose in living? Or what is my mission? Why do I live? And when I look at this passage, I think we get a picture of the Apostle Paul's purpose in life. What makes him to what makes him, you know, get up in the morning and really want to live his life? Obviously, it's for the glory of God. But but what does that look like? And I want to really ask ourselves this morning: um, What is my purpose. What is my reason for living? Why do I get up in the morning, right? What makes me excited? What gets my heart pumping? You know, what is, again, my purpose? And so, today I want to take a look at that, and really, um, I, I have two points today. Uh, I know most pastors have three points. I don't know where that came from. I can't see in the scriptures, thou shalt preach a three-point sermon, <laughs> right? But most pastors do. I think Pastor John does as well, right? Um, and so, it's two points, which might sound like it's shorter, but I have a lot of sub points, so it is what it is, right? But two points, and it's the power of Paul's purpose and the meaning of Paul's purpose, right? The power of his purpose and the meaning of his purpose. And so I want to really go into that today, but before I get into those points, just, it's a powerful passage because, I mean, you know, obviously verse 21 is where I'm, where I'm going with his purpose, right? To live as Christ, to die as gain. But if Paul didn't have that purpose. If you really think about it, his life would be really difficult, It'd be probably a miserable life. Because if his purpose wasn't to live as Christ, if his purpose was to live as money, think about that. If you have no money, if you're broke, then you would be miserable. Right? If, you're, if his purpose was to be successful, and if you didn't have success, then again, his life would fall apart. If his purpose was popularity, I want everyone to like me, and if someone didn't like him, then again, his life would be falling apart, but because he's able to say "For to me to live as Christ, and to die as gain, it gives him something incredible in his life. And so, I want to look at this passage today, and again, first point is the power of Paul's purpose. Now, I say power here, because if you look at Paul's life, he should be miserable. He should be, just from a rational perspective. because. Paul, if you look at this passage, right, in verse 12, he tells us, well, verse 13, right, um, that he says that he is imprisoned. His imprisonment is for Christ. So right now, he is imprisoned. He has no freedom to go about to do what he wants to do. He is a prisoner. And so if any of us were in prison, if any of us were in jail, I, I would like to think, or I would assume, right, that we would be miserable. I, I've never been in jail. I hope I never do. I hope none of you ever do either. But think about it, if any of us were in prison for whatever the reason might be, I would think we'll be very miserable. And the apostle Paul, if you look at his life, he is he is an apostle who went around as pretty much as a missionary proclaiming the gospel. He was the apostle to the Gentiles, right? I had a chance actually Uh, you know, a number of years ago going to Turkey and Greece and actually going to a lot of the churches and going, you know, kind of Paul's missionary journey and just, just, you know, you study it in seminary, you read books, but then when you realize the amount of, you know, coverage he had of traveling and preaching the gospel back in those days without cars and airplanes and trains, I mean, it's pretty incredible, but he went around, right, and just was proclaiming Christ, was planting churches, making disciples for Christ. And, you know, he was living a life of proclaiming, a proclamation of discipleship, right, of preaching, of, you know, evangelizing and doing God's work. And right now he can't do any of that because he's in prison, right? He's stuck. He can't even encourage the brothers and sisters that he was able to minister to earlier in his life. And so what did you he think He's writing letters like the book of Philippians to people because that is his only way of communicating with them. Right? He had no FaceTime. Right? He had no phone calls, no texting, no emails. Right? He's just writing these letters because he has no other way of continuing his ministry. And so you would think he would be miserable especially because he's not even imprisoned because he did something wrong. He didn't commit a crime, you know, that was awful. He didn't steal anything, right? He didn't, you know, hurt anybody. No, he's imprisoned because he's being faithful. He's faithfully proclaiming Christ, doing God's work. And for that, he is a prisoner, but instead of being miserable. If you look at the book of Philippians, one of the main themes in the book of Philippians is joy he is joyful, he is rejoicing. Right? Even in this passage, if you look at verse 18, he says, at that, towards the end, he says, and in that I rejoice, and then he says again, yes, and I will rejoice. He is rejoicing, he is joyful, he is full of joy. He is, here is a man who is imprisoned, He is a man who cannot do what he was doing before, doing God's work all over the different churches, right? Proclaiming Christ. He can't do what he was doing. He is stuck here for being faithful. He didn't even do anything wrong. And yet, instead of being miserable, instead of drowning in the sorrows, he is rejoicing. Why? Because... We're going to go back to his purpose. He can say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And because he is seeing God working even in the midst of his bad circumstances. Look at verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance The gospel. See, he's not miserable because what's happening, even in his difficult situation, the gospel is being proclaimed. What has happened? He says here in verse 13, It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. What's going on? Because of his imprisonment, he's able to proclaim the gospel to the imperial guard, probably to a group of people normally he would not be able to maybe proclaim Christ to. The whole imperial guard has come to know that his imprisonment is for Christ. And I would like to think that maybe some of the imperial guard even became Christians because of Paul's imprisonment. So his point is, look, I know I'm in a bad situation here, but God is even using this bad situation to advance his gospel, even to the imperial guard. And then look at verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So there are people, because Paul is stuck and he is imprisoned, there are people who are becoming more bold and confident to preach the word. So he's excited about that. And then look at verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. So here are, there are some people that see Paul's life, he's imprisoned, but they see his work, they're, you know, emboldened by Paul, and so they want to preach the gospel for good reasons, but there are even people that want to hurt Paul out of envy and rivalry. He says in verse 17 later that these people, you know, they want to afflict him even in his imprisonment, they have selfish ambition, so there are people who are preaching the gospel for good reasons, but there are people who are preaching the gospel actually with bad motivation, and so you would think, if someone is trying to hurt me, if someone is trying to make me look bad, if someone is saying bad things about me, if someone is trying to afflict me, I will be angry, right? I will be upset, I will be miserable. But instead, no, 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 He's, he says, verse 18, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. I mean, think about this. This is incredible. He's imprisoned. He's in prison. He is a prisoner. He cannot even go around and preach the gospel like he normally would, but he's rejoicing because even through his imprisonment, God is advancing the gospel. The whole imperial guard is finding out about Christ. There are people out there who maybe were not bold, before, but now they're bold to preach the gospel. There are even some people that want to hurt him and they're preaching the gospel for the wrong reasons, and yet, as long as Christ is proclaimed, Paul is rejoicing. I mean, that, that's incredible. Why? Because his purpose is for to me to live as Christ, and to die is gain. So there's a joy in his life. But if you look at verse 18 and 19, here's the thing we see. There's joy because God is working in the midst of his circumstances to do good, to proclaim the gospel. But if you look at verse 18, he says, in every way, whether in pretest or in truth, Christ is proclaiming. In that I rejoice. But then there's another thought here, and he says, "Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit, Jesus Christ would, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance." So, what did he say? God is working in my situation, even my bad circumstances, to do good, to advance His kingdom, right? To have the gospel be proclaimed. And He's rejoicing in that, but also He's saying, not only is He doing that, He's also working in me. In the midst of my bad circumstances, what is God doing? He's working in my heart and in my life. He's working through the Spirit of Christ but also through all of you, right, through your prayers and He's working in me and He is going to continue to work in me, right, until I am glorified and I am with Christ and in the meantime, He's working in my heart, my life. He's sanctifying me. He's growing me. He is changing me. So what is Paul saying? In the midst of these terrible circumstances, God is doing good work in it but also He's doing good work in me, changing me, working in my heart, working in my life. And so because of all of that, I want to rejoice. I mean, that's power. Let's be honest. Myself, yourselves, when life is tough, when life is difficult, when things are not going the way we thought they would, when we thought God had a plan and everything is going differently, it's hard to rejoice. It is. It's very difficult to be joyful when life is hard. But my prayer is, if we can have the kind of purpose that Paul has, to live as Christ, to die as gain, if we can live for the glory of God, if we can live for just the proclamation of Christ to happen, if we want our lives to truly show Christ in every way, my hope and my prayer would be that we could rejoice even in the most difficult of circumstances because we know Christ is with us because we know he's working in our situation powerfully and he's working in our hearts and in our lives and i really hope i pray that we would have power in our lives as we have a purpose that is directly towards Christ and Christ alone but now go moving to the second point right the power of his purpose and then now the second point, the meaning of Paul's purpose. And really, here I want to focus on verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, I think that short verse is loaded. And I've actually, I think you've seen preachers preach multiple sermons just out of this one verse. And we're not going to do all that. But there's a few things that I want to really just I guess focus on as we think about that one verse the meaning of Paul's purpose to live as Christ and to die is gain and the first thing is well what does it mean to live as Christ I think it means if nothing else to love and to glorify Christ well when I say for to me to live as Christ it means I love Him I want to worship Him I want to glorify Him now if you're a Christian and I trust that uh, you know most of us here are, I love Christ right being, being a Christian would mean that I love Christ but the problem is that not only do I love Christ, I love a lot of other things too and it's not wrong to love other things but these things tend to compete with our love for Christ right and you know and there's many things that we love you know some of you are here and you know you may be You know, you may love, I'm sure, your family. That's a good thing. We may love our friends. You may love your church, right? You may love maybe a new car that you bought, maybe some clothes that you got, right? You may love your job, maybe, right? (laughs) Not too many people, I don't think, right? You know, I remember growing up, I used to tell people um, that I love my contacts uh, because, uh, you know, for those of you know, um, you you have bad eyesight. My my eye, well, I I had LASIK done, so now my eyes are good. But before that, it was, there, it was negative nine. And so if you know what that means, right, it, it was bad. You know? And some of you, if you went to school with me, you probably know I used to have these, I just call them my bottle rockets, right? Like, I said, these glasses, they were like so thick, and, and you know, it was just really bad. And I remember, you know, like if, I remember thinking like, if I don't have my contacts with glasses on, and if there was a c- crime committed, I would be the worst witness, right? I couldn't even see Pastor John's face from where I'm standing. I could see who he is just from his outline, Right, but I couldn't see him you know, clearly. That's how bad it was. And so I remember when I used to love my glasses or my contacts because I can't see without them, right? And then as you get older, you love different things. Right? You know, again, it might be you know, your car, it might be your friendships. You know, after you get, I get married, I you know, love my family, my wife, my children, and there's a deep love that we have for the things that are precious to us, and that's a good thing. However, a lot of times the things that we love, even though they're good things, they compete and even overtake a love for Christ. And we call that idolatry. And that is a problem because when I say, for to me to live is Christ, it means that I want to love Christ more than anything else in this world. I want to love Him supremely. He needs to be first in my life. I want to love Him. I want to glorify Him. You know, uh, a pastor once put it this way. I really like the way he put it, so I'll use this. He called it varsity and junior varsity. And his point was that your love for Christ should be varsity, and your love for everything else should be junior varsity. Now, that makes sense to me, right? Because uh, if, if you, you know, play sports, if you are athletes growing up, um, you know, you know the, the, the varsity team, that's, that's the team. If you go to a certain high school and you say, I, I, I'm on the volleyball team, I'm on the basketball team, you're talking about the varsity team. If you're in the JV team, that's like, you know, I don't want to be too disparaging, right, but it's, it's the team that's on the way, right? It's the team that wants to get to the varsity. You're not, if you say somebody, oh, I'm on the football team, you know, I'm on the JV team, and no one really thinks you're really on the team, because it's not the team, right? It's the on the way team. I wasn't very athletic, so I, don't, I didn't make varsity or junior varsity, right, growing up, but but it's, it's on the way, and his point, and I, and I like this point here, is that my love for Christ should be varsity. He's number one, right? And everything else, at the end of the day, should be JV. Right? I love my family, I love my friends, I love my church, I love, and you, know, you, know, you can go on and on, but Christ is supreme. For to me, to live as Christ means I love Jesus. But to live as Christ also means I want to know Him and I want to commune with Him. Think about that for a second. Anyone that you love, if you, want, if you say to somebody, I live for you, right? I say to my wife all the time, right, I live for you. And you know, and it's true, right? But if you live for somebody, if you love someone, then you want to spend time with them, right? Like would you ever see somebody, hey, I love you, but I don't even want to, I don't even want to see you once a week. <laughs> I really live for you, but I need to decompress, give me my space, right? Like, leave me alone. Right? I mean, if you love someone, if you want to live for someone, you want to spend time with them. You want to commune with them. You know, when I used to lead small groups, I remember I used to ask this question, which I stopped asking because it depressed me. But I used to ask this, I used to, say, I used to start the small group by saying, how many of you read your word every day? And it's like nobody would <laughs> have put the answer, right? Like, and so I stopped asking the question because it was just depressing. But if I say I love Christ, if I say to live is Christ, then at the very least, should I not want to know him? Should I not want to commune with him? Should Bible reading be this big chore, you know, duty that I have to do, that I hate? Should my prayer time be like, oh, I've got to get it off my checklist? No. If I say for to me to live as Christ, I want to know Jesus. I want to commune with Him. I want to read the Word. I want to study it. When I hear sermons, right? If Pastor John is preaching, I'm not falling asleep or looking at my, you know, my phone, right? I'm. I'm I'm focused, I want to learn, I want to grow, I want to know Christ. If I'm doing a Bible study, I want to get into it, right? If I'm listening to a praise song or singing a praise song, I want to really think about how amazing those words are and praise God through it and commune with Him. If I'm reading the Word on my own, I want to study it. Maybe I want to get a study Bible and really think about it, really meditate on the Word. I want to know, I want to pray to Him, right? I cry out to Him, not just so He could answer my prayers, but through my prayer life, I could get to know Him and grow deeper and deeper in my relationship with Him. And so for to me, to live as Christ means I want to know you and I want to commune with Christ. So right to live as Christ means I want to love Him, I want to know and commune with Him, but also to live as Christ means I want to imitate Jesus and I want to become more and more like Him. You know, I remember growing up, I mean, you know, those of you, you know, who are maybe a little older here, I guess, or I don't say older, I think we're all pretty young here, right? Older than some others, right? <laughs> but I, remember this com- I remember growing up, you know, I was a big Knicks fan. But I couldn't help but like Michael Jordan, because he was just amazing. And he always crushed us, and that was sad. But I mean, there was this commercial, I think some of you might remember, you know, it was a Gatorade commercial. He said, like Mike, where I want to be like Mike. And I used to watch that, and I used to think, I want to be like him too. <laughs> but I wasn't very good at basketball, so it wasn't, didn't mean anything. But, you, just, you know, all we had a generation of basketball players who wanted to be like Mike because they looked up to him. He was amazing. He was so great. If I say I love Jesus and I want to be, right, his disciple, if I say for to me to live as Christ, then I want to imitate Jesus. I want to become more and more like him. That's part of I thing what that would mean. But, you know, it's hard. It's easy to say that. It's really hard to live it. I remember one time, you know, um, talking to a brother. And, you know, he was angry. Something bad happened in his life. And he was just really angry and he was really upset. And, you know, I listened to him for like over an hour. and You know, but I'm his pastor. So I felt like at some point I have to say something. I can't just listen to him. And so, you know, I share, I think about forgiveness and love or something. I forget what I said. And then he like literally stopped me. He said, Pastor James, I really appreciate what you're trying to do. But I don't, I don't need a sermon right now. I was like, oh. I said, brother, I'm sorry. But I'm your pastor, so I have a few more words for you. <laughs> right? But I understood his point. Right? Like, I'm angry. And so the last thing I want to hear from you is any talk of, forgiveness, any talk of love, you know, and he's right, you know, that was a wrong time, you know, to preach a sermon to someone or to give those kind of words, right? But here's the thing, if I'm a child of God, and if I say to me to live as Christ, then does that not mean, even if someone wrongs me and I'm angry, that there should be a desire for forgiveness? Maybe not right now, because I'm upset. But eventually, should I not want to get there? And so now my approach is actually very different. And when people now tell me how upset and angry they are, I listen for a long time, maybe like sometimes an hour or more, and then I generally say something to this, or something like this: I say, "I know you can't forgive him right now, or her. But I'm praying, one day, as you reflect upon the love and the forgiveness of Christ, that you'll get there." That works a lot better if in, in the approach but but the point is if i am a disciple of jesus if i say i, I want to live for him if i you know if i if i love him i i want to get there i want to be lucky because jesus obviously is all about forgiveness we are here as his people because of his forgiveness for sinners like us you know i look at my life and um you know i look at you know, my wife and my kids sometimes. And then, you know, I I didn't know this. I mean, Pastor John knows this. I used to think I was a very selfless person until I I got married and had kids. And then I realized I am really selfish, right? God just started really showing me my selfishness in so many different areas of my life. And it's hard. You know, I look at Ephesians 5, and it says, you know, to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Christ died for the church, so I'm thinking, this is how I'm supposed to love my wife and my kids. And you know, to be honest, it is so hard to be like Christ. And yet, here's what I know: that to be a Christian, to say for to me to live as Christ, to die is gain, means that I do need to die to myself and I need to love and have an other center, sacrificial kind of love that Christ shows. And so What does it mean to live as Christ? It means to love Him, to know and to commune with Him, but it also means to imitate Christ, to become more and more like Him, to want to serve, to forgive, right, to be other-centered. And let me say one more thing about to live as Christ. I think it also means that we are called to obey Him and to serve Him. Where I want to love Him, I want to know Him, I want to be like Him, but also to live as Christ means I want to obey and I want to serve. Jesus. You know, a pastor once asked this question uh, during a sermon. He said, if I told you, let's go to the mission field, and uh, I don't think the country is that important, you know, let's go, come with me, you know, and God's calling us to serve. And if you knew that you were gonna die on that mission field, would you come? I remember when I heard that, I remember thinking in my head, I don't want to answer the question, (laughs) right? Because that's a hard question. But, the, but you know I thought about this, if God calls me to do something, if I know God wants me to obey in a certain way, even if it's hard, will I obey? When I read the Word, do I pick and choose what I like and that's what I do, or do I say, Lord, this is your Word, so whatever you tell me to do, I want to obey and I want to serve you. I remember when my son uh, was really young, and he's only 15 months now, but I remember you know, the first few months, I, you know, I used to do the night feedings, and, you know, those of you who've done the night feedings, it's terrible, right? You love your child so much, but you just look at him. He's like, can you just go to sleep, <laughs> right? Like, you're so tired. And I remember sometimes, you know, he would cry unless, you know, I would rock him or walk with him. And I remember one time I realized I'm like his slave. If Daddy, sit down, I sit down, right through his tears, right through his cries. Daddy, I want you to stand up. I got to stand up. Daddy, I want you to walk around and rock me. I got to walk around. I got to rock him. Sing to me. I got to, like, whatever he wants me to do, I need to do, because I just don't want him to cry, because the, the sound of his crying would just make me so miserable, but also, I didn't want my wife and my daughter to wake up, right? So, I'm just like, please don't cry. And whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. I remember thinking, man, he's like my master, this few months old, right? And Obviously, he's not, but Christ is. He is my Lord. And so, when I say, for to me, to live is Christ, it means that I want to love him, I want to know him, I want to commune with him, I want to imitate and become like him, but it also means I want to obey Jesus, and I want to serve him. But, when we look at the meaning of Paul's purpose, to live as Christ, to die is gain, it doesn't just say, for to me, to live as Christ. It also says, to die is gain. And, you know, it's interesting. If you look at the passage, I, you know, I didn't read verse 22 and onwards, but he actually talks about how, you know, what should I choose? He says, I'm hard-pressed. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So he's pretty much saying, look, it's even better for me to depart and be with Christ, but I'm going to stay here, right, for your sake because, you know, I have more ministry, I have more work to do, you know, for the the Lord. And it's interesting, what does that mean? I want to depart, I want to be with Christ. What does it mean to say, to die is gain? It means to be excited for heaven, right? It means to be excited and to anticipate eagerly Christ's presence, right? It's talking about this. It's not, it's not an escapism. It's not saying, you know, you want to die and you want to escape from this life or for anything like that. Really, it's saying, if my life is all about Christ, if my life is about living for Christ, if I love Him, if I want to commune with Him, if I want to serve Him, if my life is all about Jesus, 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 it's all about Christ, 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 then here's the thing. When I do pass away, am I going to be with face-to-face? I'm going to be with Christ. Who am I going to commune with for all eternity? Who am I going to worship for all eternity? Face-to-face is going to be Christ. So what he's saying is, my life now, it's exciting, it's joyful, it's amazing because I get to live for Christ, but even when I die, I get to be with Him and commune with Him for all eternity. And so, to die is gain Uh, one commentator put it this way says paul says that in death there's more of what satisfies him now the now is amazing because it's about serving jesus which brings meaning and joy but he knows that the later is better because it involves face-to-face communion with christ now think about this for a second can you imagine trying to threaten someone like the apostle paul you go to him and you say, you know what? Stop preaching the gospel. Stop talking about this Jesus. Stop doing God's work or we're going to throw you in jail. He says, bring it on to live as Christ. Or God's going to do good even through that. We're going to you know, whip you. We're going to hurt you. Bring it on. We're going to make you suffer. He says, bring it on. I'm going to know more Christ's sufferings as I suffer. Bring it on. They say, we're going to kill you. And he says, well, to live as Christ but to die is gain. Bring it on. How do you stop someone like this? You can't. Because his purpose is so clear. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But here's the thing. Where where does Paul get this purpose from? How does he even come up with these words? It's because he's looking at Jesus. So you have to realize, you know, those of you who don't know, Paul was not always a faithful Christian. He was not always an apostle. He was actually a persecutor of the church. If you read the book of Acts, you see apostle Paul was scary. He was called Saul before the, back then, and he was somebody who hated Christians, and he wanted to hurt Christians. He wanted to imprison them. He wanted to make them suffer. So he used to go around looking for Christians, and he was a very tough strong persecutor of the church of christ until christ came into his life and christ completely has transformed his life and the apostle paul has realized that even a sinner like me was persecuting Christ and his church, I can be forgiven because of what Christ has done on the cross. He realized that Christ went to the cross, that he died the death that his people deserve, right? And that we have found forgiveness and eternal life and the relationship with Christ through what Jesus has done. And so the Apostle Paul, I believe every day, he's looking at the cross, he's gazing at the cross, he's looking at Jesus, and he sees that Christ, through his life, is saying something like this, for to me, to live is for my people, right? For to me to live is for my people. But Christ is also saying, For to me to die, my death is for their gain. And so as Paul sees Jesus, who says, For to me is for my people to live is for my people to die is for their gain. He is so moved by that gospel that he can say, For to me to live is Christ and to die is is gain and i hope i pray this morning that all of us as we look at christ every day as you look at what that means for us in our lives we can also say with the apostle paul for to me to live is christ and to die is gain let's pray father we thank you for your amazing love and grace we thank you for the cross and we thank you that even sinners like us could be forgiven, that we could be saved, that we could become the children of God. And we pray, Lord, that as we look to the cross every day, we could see it with Paul, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gay. That we could rejoice, despite all of our circumstances, that we could desire to love Christ, to know Christ, to be like Christ and to obey, and to serve Him, and Lord, that we could even say not just to live as Christ, but to die as gain. For I look forward to spending eternity with. For I look forward to spending eternity with Christ. We thank you. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.